when people have someone in their life that has cancer. People offer to watch their kids. People bring them food. (laughs) And when you lay on the bathroom floor and think, what the fuck, I can't do this anymore. But you don't want anyone to know because then you'd seem like you weren't holding it together. Nobody brings you food. Nobody helps you with the laundry. Your kids are a little bit embarrassed that you cry a lot. I'm Nora McNerney, and this is Terrible. Thanks for asking. And that was Sheridan. Several years ago, when Sheridan was in her mid-30s, she was experiencing a pretty severe depression. She had been on postpartum medication after the birth of her second kid, and then she went off it. And as her kids got older... She went through a divorce and a custody battle. She got remarried to a guy that she had known in high school. And she became a stepmom, too. At this point, she had doubled, doubled her children. She went from having two kids to up to four kids in her house at any given time. And she couldn't keep up. She was being crushed. The things that she could normally handle suddenly weren't possible. But, like, she couldn't show it. You're not supposed to show it as a mom. You're supposed to grin, bear it, post about it on Instagram using hashtag grateful, hashtag blessed, hashtag mom life. So Sheridan keeps all of that pressure inside. But you can only keep it inside for so long. And one day she just can't do it anymore. could not get a grip. Like, I was crying and having kind of a panic attack and just having all all the things. And um, my first thought was, I'm going to get in the car and I'm going to leave. I didn't really have a plan, but I was going to leave. And then I was like, I should go. I, I can't handle this. I can't go home like this. I can't be around the kids like this. So I'm like, if I call the clinic and they have an appointment today, it's a sign I shouldn't run away. Sheridan dials. And I I think the lady that answered the phone must have been able to hear in my voice that, I, I mean, how who, who couldn't? I was, like, heaving and sobbing and crying. And, and she's like, we can get you in. Can you make it to Golden Valley by whatever time? And I'm like, yes. It's a sign. They answered and they have an appointment. So Sheridan drives clear across town for what she assumes will be a 20-minute appointment. They managed to just squeak into the schedule. I don't know. I sat there for an hour and a half. And I, for the first time in my life, I said, I'm confused about where I'm at with religion, but I do pray that I'll have an aneurysm. Like, the panic attacks are so bad, I just wish it would just snap. Or... If I am going through a light, I just say, if somebody just T-boned me, it wouldn't be that bad. Before that, she had asked me, like, have you ever been suicidal? And I was like, no. I grew up, my, you know, my father, he, that's how he died. Sheridan's birth father died by suicide when she was six. Before that, he hadn't been much a part of her life. My only, like, real memory is, like, in the 80s, I, I remember, like, there were Easter baskets that were sand pails, 
with like Easter grass in him. And I remember a really tall man bringing one to my mom's house and like trying to talk to me. And I just remember thinking he was a giant and I really didn't want the sand pail that much. I, I, I don't remember his face. I just remember him being really, really tall. And I know that he was. But that was really all that I recall, and then the rest is stuff my mom has told me. At six, Sheridan had a stepfather. He was the chief of police in their small town. I remember him pulling in the driveway with the police car, which obviously he was coming home. Um, and then he and my mom talked, and then he was the one that told me. Like, yeah. he must have said somebody died, and I mean, it, it was just sad that someone died. I mean, I was six. I mean, I hadn't... When an animal dies, when a person dies, it's a really sad thing. So you cry. And I remember just crying and crying and crying. After that, Sheridan was raised by her mother and by her stepfather, who wasn't a particularly warm father figure. Sheridan's physical needs were met, but she didn't have that dad feeling, that dad relationship. When you were little or growing up, what did the word family mean to you? My mom. Yes, my motherly heart does swell at that sentence. Your family is your mom. And my motherly heart breaks because, yeah, your family is your mom. And also, your family being your mom is a lot. That's a lot of pressure on her and on you. It's a lot of loneliness, maybe. Sheridan did have a very small nuclear family, and to her, that didn't feel safe. A small family can mean a small safety net, or sometimes no safety net at all. Like, you don't have, like, a plethora of kidneys around or bone marrow donors. That sounds silly, but it's it's very practical. And for Sheridan, there's all the things that she missed growing up with a dead dad and a stepfather that she never really bonded with. At my first wedding, like, we didn't have a father-daughter dance because I was, that was awkward. Who was going to walk me down the aisle? My mom was like, well, I can do it. And yes, and I'm not, it's not anything about, it's just like, I mean, I remember a fashion show when I was in like, I don't know, I must have been like 12. And everybody had their dads and I didn't want my stepdad. And I had to walk with some old grandpa guy because... It's just some random old Some man. rando, yeah. <laughs> and, like, I was devastated by that because course, everybody had their dad. Awful. Who Who assigned you an old man? The, the people that... I don't know. They're but, like, oh, she can't be alone. We'll just get her this... Get her a man. Like <laughs> A girl mustn't be presented right. alone. Right. And <laughs> I'm just like... I mean, I remember, like, feeling, like, this hot, deep oh. embarrassment. And then, like, where's your dad? Well, he's my stepdad and... Oh. Like, this this guy's not my dad. Right. It's just, so who's this guy? I don't know. He was assigned to He me. was assigned to me, and he's creepy. Oh. I mean. Yeah, he's the kind of guy who wants to come to a little girl's fashion show alone. Oh, God, thank God. Yeah. Sheridan's stepdad stopped being a part of her life when she was an adult. And her birth father was gone. And it wasn't just that Sheridan's dad and stepdad were missing from daddy-daughter fashion shows, which are weird, It's that Sheridan's dad was just missing. There was no information about him. There were basically no pictures. 
she had no way of seeing him, which meant that she couldn't see herself in him. She couldn't see herself reflected in what he looked like physically and what he may have been like emotionally. Eventually, as an adult, she did have one home movie, a Super 8 film that her cousin found and digitized and posted to a family page on the internet. Super 8 film is kind of grainy and dreamy. It's what played at the beginning of the Wonder Years credits or really anytime people are talking about the 60s or 70s and you imagine something playing, like a home movie, that's Super 8. And I was so excited because immediately, like, you see my grandma. And I was like, oh, my God, you know, and you see my grandma as, like, a, you know, 40-some. And then my grandpa, and my grandpa gives his signature, like, two-fingered wave. And then my aunts and uncles are running around, and they're, like, kids. And I'm watching, and it's the receiving line down these really tall steps of a church. And the bridesmaids have these horrible yellow dresses on and these hats. And I'm watching it, and the bride, it must have been really windy because I couldn't see who the bride was. And the groom was kind of like acting silly and shaking hands and kind of tapping people on the shoulder. And the bride is just whapping her her veil around. And I must have watched for like two minutes watching and just seeing like my great aunts and uncles. And all of a sudden the bride got free of the veil and it was my mom. And um, I realized it was the first time I'd ever seen like in my memory or my ability to remember my dad alive and I probably watched it 200 times 400 times to see if I could see his hands to see if I could see if his movements were like me I mean it's not great film it's pretty far from a distance but to see his smile and like I just wanted that I mean my children all have a very distinctive cleft chin from my ex-husband and I'm proud of that like for them like And I watched this video and I just wanted to be able to see, like, myself in this person. There was Sheridan's dad, moving silently through the world he existed in. When her mom was a happy bride, before Sheridan was born and her parents split up and her dad died. That silent Super 8 film showed her what her dad looked like. But it doesn't show what's inside of her dad and what may have been passed down to be inside of her. Because the way Sheridan's father had died scared her. The idea that one day, a person who shared 50% of her DNA got up and decided to die how he had died, that terrified her. Was that potential a part of her nature, too? Had it somehow been passed down to her? Like, when so-and-so, you know, told me that he didn't want to go to prom with me, and I was devastated, I remember thinking, like, maybe I'll just get, like, run over, or, like, Mm -hmm. I don't know, maybe something will fall. Like, it, 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 it kind of, like, if things have felt really tragic or bad or scary... I've just hoped that, you know, I could be passive in it, but it would just happen. Right. Which, yeah, that's not a healthy way. It's just not a healthy way to think. (laughs) Um, But then I also thought, well, that's, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, that's my birthright. 
Sheridan's mother basically never talked to her about her birth father. None of her family really did. They thought she didn't want to know, and she didn't know enough to know how to ask. So her birth father stayed boiled down to two facts, that he was tall and that he had died by suicide. And that was it. That was basically all she knew of her father. Back in that therapist's office, in her mid-30s, Sheridan has that birthright in mind when she's asked if she's ever considered suicide. And I don't want to be like that. I don't want to be the person that leaves my kids. And she said, so you're telling me you don't think you've ever had suicidal thoughts? I said, no. And she's like, so how long have you been thinking things about having an aneurysm or whatever? I said, my whole life. And she's like... Well, that's maybe not suicidal thoughts in the way that you traditionally would think of it, but it's suicidal ideation. And she said, you know, that's really unhealthy. And then she said, I think you should consider hospitalization. And I looked at her and I said, well, we have a basketball tournament this weekend. My daughter has military ball for school. I have this and this and this. I said, can I, could I come next Monday and be hospitalized from like Monday to Wednesday? Yeah. And... She looked at me and she like leaned forward on her and this, I mean, I still see her today. She's amazing. Um, she didn't say like, are you nuts, woman? She was like, I'm afraid that if you don't decide it, it will decide for you. Wow. Relatable. Painfully relatable. Who has time to be unwell? Go to the hospital? Are you kidding? Especially parents especially parents who have been cursed with kids who have interests and friends and activities. Because when kids find people and things they love, it means they have places to be and things to do, and you are the person who needs to get them there. It's so very easy to essentially find yourself one day feeling like nothing more than an unpaid Lyft driver and personal chef. To find yourself at the end of a rapidly fraying rope, I'm not saying it's because of the kids, depression is not to my knowledge caused by parenting, but when you get to that point, and you have kids, then what? Because even if you should take some me time and do some self-care, even if a doctor is telling you, you should be hospitalized, your kids are your focus, even when you're falling apart because you can't fall apart. Your kids need you. You don't get to be depressed. Like, not the same thing, but I was supposed to book a follow-up appointment with my doctor after I had a concussion, but I can't remember who my doctor is because I never see her and I had a concussion and I don't have time for a concussion. And Sheridan did not have time to be hospitalized and depressed. And also her husband had to go to work. So she didn't go to the hospital. But she did go on medication and she did go to therapy. And it felt like things were getting better. Not perfect, but better. She was not going to end up like her dad. I've decided that this is a time for us to take a break from the show for a moment. I'll I'll come back.
And we're back. Turning 40, sometimes a really big deal for people because age is complicated and stressful. I think you know what I mean. And I think you look at 40 and say, yes, big milestone, one that means something. When Sheridan turned 40, she just wanted it to not be the worst. I'm not going to be sad about this. I have coping skills and I can choose how this is going to go. What Sheridan chose was to document every month of it, to try to activate it, bring it into focus, own it. 40 and one month. Apply to grad school and see a dear friend she hasn't seen in a long time and go to the Netherlands with her mom and her sister, where she decides she wants to be Dutch. The entire trip in the Netherlands, my sister was trying to convince us that she was not Dutch because she doesn't like Dutch food and she thinks Dutch people are weird. And I was like... I really want to be Dutch. Sheridan just liked the idea of being Dutch, and she admits she's not really sure why. Maybe it's the cheese, the clogs, the tulips. She had grown up being told she was partially Dutch, but how much Dutch? How much Dutch? No one could tell her. No one in my family actually cares about this but me. So, 40 is off to a great start. 40 in two months. Order and take a 23andMe DNA test on Amazon Prime Day. Get that savings. Get that savings. Get a great deal on a genetic testing thingy where you spit into a jar and scientists do science and they send you back a bunch of info about your genetics information like how Dutch you really are and information about other important things. And I wanted to find out if I was lactose intolerant because my husband is convinced that I am. This is information that Sheridan can use to prove to her husband that she can have as much ice cream as she wants. 40 and three months. Make a bucket list. Set up an ongoing monthly get-together with a cousin. Get accepted to grad school. Get the results of that genetic test. Where were you? Driving. You're driving. Around the lake. So you get a notification? On my phone. Sheridan has been checking and checking and checking all month to see her results. She is excited. She is on the cusp of knowing for sure how Dutch she really is and how much ice cream she can really eat. So I'm driving and I'm like, so I want to get home because just in case the results say like I have like all of the cancer genes and every bad gene there is, I didn't want to be by myself. This is so restrained and practical, and I admire it. Sheridan rushes home. Her husband sets up her computer on the big screen monitor. She gets ready to log into her results. Sound effects of tapping, typing. This is how fast I type when I'm excited about something. She is about to find out just how Dutch she is, and then her husband gets a phone call. And he he takes it. Dude, this is a big moment. So he gets out the phone and I pull it up and I'm like, oh my God, I'm 67% Dutch. I'm 60, oh my God, I'm more Dutch than my mom. Holy cats, right out of the box. A victory, a win. And I'm like, oh, and I'm not lactose intolerant. Look at that. It says I should have curlier hair. And I'm like, really excited about this. And so then I called my mom 
because my mom had done this a while back and I didn't know if she had gotten her results. She's never mentioned it. These are dreams coming true. This is a great way to start out being 40, just redefining your identity. Fun. And I said, hurry, hurry, like, let's log on. And I said, how Dutch are you? And she's like, 52%. I'm like, oh, I don't know why that was so important to me. And then I'm like, oh, what's this one? Okay, DNA relatives. And I said, well, we'll see if this is valid. And she's like, what do you mean? I said, well, we should match. And she's like, oh, right. I go, huh, you're not my first person. My mom's like, what? Well, I said, it says your name right here. It says 50% match. I said, and it's likely that you're my mother because that's how it says it. And she's like, okay. She said, what's wrong? And I said, mom, is there something you're not telling me? And she's like, what? I said, before you is this guy named Robert, I said, with a really awkward profile picture. And it says that he and I are a 50% match that this person's likely my father. And she's like, what? What? Okay, Sheridan's first reaction is annoyance. Yeah, I said, this is crap. I said, Because... She spent money on this DNA test, and it's supposed to be accurate, and obviously it isn't because her dad is dead, and who is this Robert guy? So now she's going to have to call customer service tomorrow and then send the test back, get a new test. It's going to be annoying. How did they screw something up like that? This is, I mean, they're a pretty big company to mess up. Getting off the phone with her mom, Sheridan knows it's too late in the day to call 23andMe and yell at someone in customer service for something that isn't their fault, so Sheridan does something else. She looks this guy up, this quote-unquote Robert. Like so many of us, Robert is on Facebook. His last name was one that she recognized from the small town where she grew up. There he is. There's Robert and the cheesy Facebook picture. He's got a beautiful smile, you know, like brown eyes and and bless his heart his number is listed on facebook so she calls him i mean why not robert doesn't answer so sheridan leaves him a voicemail and then she and her husband jim do what they were gonna do anyway they go out for the evening and at dinner sheridan gets a text message that says I'm really racking my brain. That's from her mom, by the way, and her phone starts blowing up with text after text after text. I don't know why you're making such a big deal about this. The text messages escalate throughout the rest of the dinner. I've never heard of this person. I can't believe you're questioning me. And I I said, I wasn't questioning you. And then I said, Mom, I said, is this a possibility? And she's like, my Catholic girl guilt is just coming up. I don't want my apple cart upset. I'm not sure why this is happening. And then I started to feel weird. The next day, her phone rings and she answers. She hears a voice. Hi. And he has like a really like a very smooth voice. He said, hi, my name is Robert. Um, I got a message. I saw that you called and I found out later he never even listened to my message. He just called. God bless People like Robert who see a missed call and don't think, who is calling me? Block. But instead think, wow, you know, I should return this call. I don't even need to listen to the voicemail. A call was given to me. I shall return it. 
Sheridan's got this mystery man on the phone. So what is she going to say? And I said, well, I saw that, you know, we had matching results on 23andMe, and I wasn't sure if you've had a chance to look at it. He said, oh, I did that a couple years ago. I said, well, I said, it looks like we're related. He said, oh, he said, yeah, it said like I had like 900 cousins on there. And I'm like, yep. This is not that. Sheridan calmly just goes forward. She asks Robert if he lived in her small town in southern Minnesota at the end of 1977. And he's like, "Uh, yeah, yeah, I did. Um, And he's like, as a matter of fact, he said I was recently divorced. He said I was pretty lonely. He said it was my first time, like, you know, having time with with my kids, not with me all the time. He said, so I worked a lot. You know, he said I drove ambulance. And I started to, like, thinking, like, where did my mom tell me she worked? And I'm thinking, I am almost certain she worked at the hospital that I was born at. Which is where this ambulance would have gone. I mean, right? Ambulances go to hospitals. Sheridan sees where this is going. I think you see where this is going. She asked Robert if Robert knew her mom. I don't know. It doesn't ring a bell. He said, I'm going to be honest. He said, I was recently divorced. He said, you know, I, I went out with a few women. He said, I, I mean, he was very gentlemanly, but he was saying clearly that he'd hooked up with a few people in his time being divorced. And I was like, okay. And he said, um, why, why is it that you ask? I said, because it says that we're a 50% match and that I'm your daughter. And he's like, oh, holy moly. Oh, holy moly. He said, I mean, I guess it could be. It's a possibility. He said, I it was really lonely. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> I don't know what to say. Like, um, And I, he said, well, you know, we've got our class reunion this weekend, and so we're pretty busy because we're planning it. So I'll look on Monday, and I'll get back to you. And I'm thinking to myself, you'll look on Monday? Someone calls you and says they're your daughter, and you'll look on Monday? Like, okay, sounds good. Okay. Okay. Yeah. They'll talk Monday. There's just one more thing Robert has to say to this complete stranger who has called him to say that a DNA test revealed that he could maybe be her dad. And he said, hey... He said, I want you to know, I don't know how this all turns out or what will happen. He said, but you sound like a very nice woman. And if you're my daughter, I've certainly got plenty of room to love you. Quick pause while we all weep, quietly, maybe loudly. I'm not going to tell you how to weep. So I'm 40 years old, and I've never, ever had a dad ever say anything like that to me. Not a stepdad, not the person I thought was my real dad. (laughs) And I've grown up with a lot of, like, what was wrong with me that I wasn't loved enough that somebody would want to stay alive. So for some man to talk to me for five minutes, know nothing about me, to tell me that I sound like I'm really nice and that he's got plenty of room to love me, 
don't know. That feels weird. And I, I, I wish I could say that's beautiful and wonderful and all that. It feels uncomfortable. It feels unfamiliar. It feels weird. Do I wish I could feel like a loving, warm embrace and like I'm important and I matter and I finally have all my daddy issues solved? For sure. It makes me feel uncomfortable. So you spend your whole life wanting something and wishing for something and here you go. What does that do to your feeling about your dad who died by suicide? It makes me feel like he's all the more tragic. I mean, it makes me feel bad that I don't know. I mean, a lot of it for me is I feel like I've spent a lot of my time mourning somebody that wasn't the next thing that happened is I really wanted to talk to my mom. Like, I wanted her to say, hey, we'll figure this out. (laughs) This must be really freaky for you. But my mom was not a person that I could call. It's important to say right now that Sheridan's mom is not comfortable with this news. She wasn't then when Sheridan found out. She isn't now. Sheridan's mom doesn't want to talk about this and certainly not on a podcast. And I really don't blame her because motherhood is very hard. And we make choices in the moment using what information we have at the time and we just Hope for the best. And whatever information she had at the time Sheridan was born, it was certainly not that in 40 years, this little baby would be able to bring up a long-forgotten tryst through some sort of magical test and somehow find out that her dad wasn't her dad. And what even makes a dad? Anyway, is it nature The DNA inside you? Is it nurture? Who raised you? Sheridan's mom didn't want to talk to me. She didn't want Sheridan to go meet Robert. And you know what? I get that too, because it's not like they had some grand love affair. Whatever happened between Sheridan's mom and Robert didn't leave much of an impression on either one of them. But a meaningless event once uncovered, holds huge, indelible meaning for Sheridan and huge, understandable pain for her mother. The part of the conversation that was clear to me from my mom um, was that she doesn't want her apple cart upset. She told me that this was a possibility and that things were really hard in her marriage at that time and that She would have never kept this from me had it been something that she actively remembered. And I I believe, I absolutely believe that. Robert 
does not wait until Monday to call Sheridan. He and Sheridan talk the next day. And Sheridan talks to 23andMe as well. They call. They say, hey, got your message. We're not wrong. And a few days later, Sheridan and her husband are in a car driving down to meet her maybe dad. And so I always have a notebook or several with me. And so I decided to quell my anxiety on the way down there by, like, coming up with questions that I had for him to, like, disprove all of this. Or not. I don't, I don't know. But I, so I, I, the whole ride down there, I was writing out questions and trying to make Jim participate. Like, what kind of questions? Oh, do you have, well, um, like, do you like to read? Do you like to ski? Um, Trick question, because I don't. Right. Oh, my God. I hate yeah. skiing. Like, it was, I swore at the gym teacher when we went on the ski trip. It was horrible. Um, like, do you like to ski? Do you like to read? Um, do you, what kind of music do you like? Did you like your parents? And do you like spicy food? Because I don't. And um, verify again. Do you have both your kidneys? And do you like scary movies? I don't know if those are actually genetically based things, but... I very much wanted to find out, like, I don't know, were we alike? It was a list of questions and then a list of things about me in case he needed to know them. That was what I did on the way down there. Sheridan and her husband drive to a town near where they grew up. And when they stop the car, they're in front of a cute little house with a big, beautiful garden. Robert was in the driveway, and he has the same, like, straight smile that my son has, like, where the corners never turn up. But it's clearly a smile, but he was like, come in, sit down. And then he had 500 photo albums, and he said, I did the National Geographic. Years before, Sheridan had sat watching a silent film that showed her the man she believed was her birth father, struggling to see herself in his image. Sitting across from a stranger, it's easy to see herself in this man she just met. So, my extremely romantic husband, who I've known for a very long time, um, has not so smartly on occasion referred to my fingers as sausage fingers. Not his best move, but um, it helps that he's charming and attractive and all that, but Um, My mom has beautiful fingers and hands, and she can always grow her nails out, and my hands don't look like my mom's hands. And we were sitting there, and Robert was sitting across from me, and I looked, and he he has short, stubby fingers. And he's like, yeah, I I don't know, I can't really get my my nails, you know. And I, to see that... When, like, all my life I've looked at, like, you know, my mom's can, my mom has little petite rings and, yeah, my hands are, like, working hands. You know what I mean? Like, and I, and it's so weird to see something about yourself on someone that, like, didn't come from you. Robert answers all of her questions. He has two kidneys. He votes. They both love Dr. Pepper. There are so many little ways that she can see herself and her children in this man, who two days ago was a total stranger. How weird is that? It was weird 
in that it wasn't weird. Like it was the absence of awkward and weird was almost awkward and weird in the lack of it. I mean, wow. Just wow. Is there a better possible response that could happen? No. But is Sheridan ready to just be loved by a stranger who shares her sausage fingers? Also, no. We talked with Sheridan just a few weeks after all this happened. Just a few weeks after she discovered that she is Dutch. And after she learned that she has a dad who is alive and sisters and brothers she never even knew about who grew up very close to her. Um, I've since had conversations with Robert and with um, two of my half-sisters, Robert's other daughters, and they've described him as a loving dad. And they said that had he known about me, he would have absolutely wanted to be in my life. Interestingly enough, um, when he told his daughters, um, one of them remembered me because she was a ninth grader when I was a senior. And so in my high school yearbook, in the senior year picture, you know, where, I mean, I was in track and, you know, I was a senior and she's in the picture. And I look at it now and, oh, my God, it looks like my daughter is in the picture. Um, But so 23 years ago, I sat in the gym at my high school in a room with my half-sister. In this same small town, the dad she could have known and the love she could have had were right there. Sisters and brothers growing up just a few miles from her, attending her same high school, completely unbeknownst to her. Now, when I grew up, it was a simpler time. It used to be the only way to really find out if you had a different dad was to be dragged onto Maury Povich or Montel Williams or maybe Jerry Springer on select episodes. This incredible scientific miracle that is DNA testing was basically just a form of entertainment for us. Or I guess also a way to solve crimes. But now, it's so commonplace that we do it just recreationally, not because we're expecting life-changing information, but because we're just curious. We just want to know more. Are we really lactose intolerant, or did our mothers just say that so we wouldn't eat too much ice cream? Are we actually Irish, or did Dad just like to drink? We knew what we knew about our lineage if we were lucky enough to have some documentation to trace, and now we can know by buying a DNA kit at Target, right near where they sell phone chargers, FYI. And what comes back to us might be more than we expect. Not just where we come from, but who we are. My ability to receive the affection and love the way that I maybe would have wanted to is different. Like, it feels like I just can't fully, like, have it all. Like, you know, he wants to give me a hug. It makes me uncomfortable. And it feels kind of like I'm being mean to him. Um, he's incredibly loving. He's very, um, like, like emotive. I mean, I feel like, I mean, and I want to be grateful of that, but mostly it just freaks me the fuck out. And I feel bad and I feel mean and I feel like, 
I don't know. It's not like, and he's like, oh, have you watched Long Lost Family? And it's like, I've watched those shows, but those people were looking. I wasn't looking. And to that end, I can think about what my mom has said. And like, I don't want this to upset my apple cart. What has it done to your apple cart? He gave me like laundry baskets and crates full of family photo albums. And he wants me to know all of this and keeps telling me that like I've changed his whole family and I wasn't looking for this and I keep thinking that it's going to be like not real and I mean there's certain things that people don't want to be found I don't know. And there's a disclaimer saying, you know, this may have the effects of altering your life. I mean, being lactose intolerant or not eh, doesn't have the same impact as, hey, you thought your dad was dead? Wrong. Different guy. I'm a parent to four children from a combination of four different parents. These kids each hold a variety of different genetic codes within them. And in parenting, there are these moments where you pray for nurture to be stronger than nature. And then there are also moments where you pray for nature to strong arm everything else around your kids. It's a big world with genetics and bullies and TV and bus rides where you don't know what they're listening to on the radio. And really, neither nature or nurture are ultimately anything we have real control over. Nature and nurture maybe aren't even opposing forces. Maybe they're just strands of the same thread. Sheridan was afraid of her nature. She was afraid that the man she thought was her birth father had given her a birthright of suicide and depression. Maybe that was born into her and maybe it was also instilled in her through the silence around her father's death and his life and the way that silence was left to metastasize into fear and anxiety and depression. The man she thought was her biological father did not pass any DNA to Sheridan, but his life and his death were still impressed into her, still left their mark. His story is a part of Sheridan's story, and it always will be, DNA or not. And Robert and his family are here now. These unexpected arrivals in Sheridan's life and in Sheridan's story. And their presence is a disruption to the story that she had been told and the story she told herself. They are warm and open. They have opened their circle and made room for her and for her children and for her life, all of it. They're offering Sheridan the idea the truth, really, that her birthright is not depression or suicide, that her birthright is something just as complicated and difficult, something worth the struggle between what you thought you knew and what is. It's the same birthright we all share, even when things are hard, even when we are hard. It can make some things better, 
but it can't fix everything. It's love. I don't quite know where to put Robert and my five new siblings, but I know that I, I'm already starting to love them. I'm Nora McNerney, and this has been Terrible. Thanks for asking. Our senior producer is Hans Buto. Marcel Malikibu is our assistant producer. Hannah Meacock-Ross is our project manager. Emma Martins is our intern. This episode got a bunch of help from our friend, Curtis Gilbert, our best friend, probably. Best, if I had to rank the best friends of this podcast, Curtis Gilbert, down on the floor, everyone else, except for Raymond Tungakar, who was also there and helped with this episode and is an angel. Likewise, Sasha Oslanian. Alexandra Smith popped in. Strong credits, always. Key to success. Thank you to uh, Robert and Donnie for being such good new parents to our friend Sheridan. I'm trying to be better about recommending uh, books to go along with episodes. And I have a really great recommendation um, if this story really struck you. It's by Danny Shapiro. It's called Inheritance, a Memoir of Genealogy, Paternity, and Love. It is astounding. I've been reading it for the past week. It doesn't come out until January 15th, but it is available for pre-order now, wherever you like to pre-order books. Danny also has a podcast coming out called Family Secrets, which explores this topic in more depth. And it is available for you to subscribe to now wherever you're listening to this podcast. So let me know what you think about the book and the podcast. And also, if you want me to keep recommending books, I like doing it. But uh, I like doing a lot of stuff that other people don't care if I do. So... Trust me, kids tell me all the time. They're like, literally no one cares how you cut the grapes in our lunch. I'm like, I love it, though. Not getting a lot of feedback. You like your grapes cut? Let me know. Joffrey, Joffrey, are you out there? Joffrey Wilson does our theme music. We know it's very good. We're a production of American Public Media.